0: Well, most of you, some of you, maybe just a couple, you may know that or have figured out that I am a exegetical preacher. Now, what that means is that I kind of take a book in the Bible and we go through it kind of section by section, sometimes verse by verse. Um, It's probably one of the reasons why this is our 31st week in a small book of Hebrews, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all good. And so that's kind of my style. That's my, that's my flavor of, of preaching. Now, some may say that's a little bit lazy. Um, you know, I go in and I kind of let the Bible tell me what I'm going to preach on, and, it's, and I don't have to think about topics to preach each and every week or topics to kind of create sermon series out of. And so we follow the Scripture I do my best through prayer and Holy Spirit intervention and study to unpack what the Bible is trying to tell us the best I can. What I'm always very careful of is not trying to make the Scripture say what I think it should say or what I would like it to say, but to stay true to what it actually says to the best of my ability. I am not perfect by any means. I know, big shock. But um, we we, we do our bests. Now, I'm not saying that a topical preacher is a bad thing. Not at all. In fact, next year, I have some topics that I want to preach through, um, things about church, and so we're going to kind of hit those next year if we ever finish Hebrews. And um, and so I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing. It's just my style. I like to just kind of go through the Bible and allow it to speak to us. Now, the thing that's most challenging about preaching that way is the fact that I can't skirt around difficult topics. I can, but it would lack integrity. And so I just can't kind of pick and choose as I'm going through section by section, verse by verse, what I would like to preach on. And so yes, as we go through the Bible, we, we talk about love and, and grace and forgiveness and mercy and all these things that, that God invites us into uh, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But when you read the scripture there are some difficult things in it. There are some difficult things that not only he says to people who reject Christ, but some hard things that cause a little bit of tension within us for those who who follow Christ. And I am a firm believer in we can't run from those things. We can't just kind of put our blinders on and say, you know what, we're not gonna talk about those things because those things are kind of difficult. I've made a commitment to myself, i made a commitment to the Lord, and um, if you have heard me uh, preach before and, and talk about this, I've made a commitment to our church that I will never, never not preach the hard things in the scripture. I, would, I want to do my best to present to you the full counsel of God. And sometimes that full counsel can cause A little bit of tension. This morning just happens to be one of those mornings where the scripture speaks to the church. The scripture is speaking to the believers. The writer of the Hebrew letter to the Hebrew church is talking to the church. And it's kind of weighty. And it it causes this a little bit of, of, of tension in the heart. But it's still based upon the love and grace and mercy of God. Now we're gonna start in verse four of chapter 12 and right above verse four in chapter 12 in my Bible there's this heading that says God disciplines his children. Woo! That'll fill the joy box this morning, huh? God disciplines his children. It, it doesn't give me the warm fuzzies, I, I, must, I must admit, but it's the word of God all the same. And so to, underst- but to understand verse four, which I think many times is taken out of the context. We have to go back and end or begin where we ended last week in verse 3 of chapter 12. So let's kind of read those two together and lay the groundwork of where we're going. So he's talking about Jesus in first. In verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So he's talking about Jesus who was nailed to the cross because of the opposition of sinners. People who did not like his message, people who did not believe him to be the Messiah, all part of God's plan, but yet crucified him to the cross. And then he says this in verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, sometimes when we talk about verse four, we get a little bit we get a little bit confused because we take it out of the context of where it's uh, what's written before it and what's what's written after it. The, now, what's written before it is again Jesus has been crucified, he went to the cross at the hand of sinners, people who rejected him as Israel's Messiah and the Messiah of the worlds. And so that sent him to the cross. Also in chapter 11, as he was ending that great chapter of faith, he talks about people who, because of their faith, they endured flogging and chains and imprisonment. Some were put to death by stoning, and some were sawed And so he he, he, he kind of lumps all of this in to faith and to the church that there are people who, instead of renouncing their faith in Jesus, chose to be imprisoned, chose to be flogged. There are those that instead of renouncing their faith in Jesus, allowed themselves to be sawed in half. And then by faith, we know that Jesus fulfilled the plan of God and went to the cross for our salvation at the hands of sinners. And so he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not, re- not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so the question is, what sin is he talking about? Is it our own sin? And the answer is no. He's not talking about our sin, personal sin. What he's talking about is the sin of other people against us. He's talking about the brokenness of the world coming at us. It's the violence that this small church is experiencing. They're being persecuted for their faith. I mean, real persecution. The writer is saying, you you are dealing with these people, you're dealing with these circumstances, you are dealing with people coming against you for your faith, attacking you, but you have yet to struggle against their sin to the point of shedding your own blood. There has no one in this church been martyred yet for their faith in Jesus. I mean, that's coming, but here's this small church and they're living in a PC world and yet they refuse to to quiet down their faith And they take a stand for Christ. And they're taking a hit for it. And so that's kind of the backdrop of of this. Christ went to the cross for his faith. People have died for their faith. We have yet to shed our own blood against sin. And now, as the writer kind of carries on, this is where it gets a little bit dicey for the church. This is where the weight kind of falls upon us and it causes just a little bit of tension, at least in me it does. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? And that just kind of makes me giggle because of the next verses. The worst word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Ah. Now, we have to understand and and make sure we do this right. The word discipline isn't God punishing you out of his anger. God is not looking at you going, you know what? You blew it again. You know what? I'm tired of this. Now the sacred whooping is coming down and I'm all ticked off. The word discipline there is the word for, for teaching. My son, don't make light. My daughter, don't make light of the Lord's teaching or training. Don't make light of the Lord's training. But that doesn't take us out of the woods because the next line is, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't take light his training. Don't lose heart when he rebukes Rebukes you. And see, the tension here is this. He's talking to the church, he's talking to us, believers in Jesus Christ. First, he says, The sin of other people, when it's directed at us, when persecution is directed at us, when we get beat up by this world, especially because we've decided to take a stand for our faith, where does that persecution originate from? And here's where it just, <clears throat> it originates from God. The persecution that the church faces originates with God. Training disciplining and so as we watch the news we see the the hostility towards Christianity we see the hostility and the pushback about what the Bible teaches and all the stuff we complain about as Christians they're not following the Christian rules we're we're falling away from a Christian nation all of these things that we constantly complain about guess what they're for our training because they originate from God. God doesn't do these things because he wants us to train in complaining. God does these things because he wants us. He wants us to stand firm and tall and know strength. And so he's kind of going through this idea of, of, of training and, and rebuking. And, and then, it, then he just he doesn't leave it out there in... in, in uh, And just thought land or or way up top here, he he buries it a little bit deeper because the Lord disciplines or trains the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He's adding more tension or weight to what he's trying to tell this church. Again, this is not easy for us because he's talking to us. God chastens the church. Pain and hardship and persecution, that, that, that is either God training us or rebuking us. And the word chasten there is not a happy word, okay? That is not a happy word. It means to flog or whip. Yet that's what God is saying to the church, that he will flog us and whip us whip us if need be, but not out of anger, not out of frustration. It's really for our own good because he wants to build up the church. We're gonna see what he has to say in a few minutes. I'm telling you, these, these aren't pastors' favorite verses to preach on a Sunday morning. And then he continues on. Endure hardship is discipline. <clears throat> God is treating you as his children. This morning I came in and the the parking lot is half plowed and and there's mud everywhere and I'm just complaining like a little girl. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So the author is kind of bringing us back to our childhood, back to our fathers and, and our mothers. And I am sensitive to know that there are many people who haven't had good relationships with their parents. And they've been abused in some way, and it was just, was just ugly. I want to tell you, I want to speak right to you, that's not God. God. He is not an abusive father. Even in the harsh of life, even in the the pain and the struggles, God loves you, and he's never doing it out of some sick sense of punishment or some false sense of righteousness. God is just and perfect and good. And so he's calling back to this idea that, that we've respected our parents for disciplining us. And again, this is, This is kind of difficult to get our minds around that the discipline of the Lord, the rebuke of the Lord is for our good. That we would enter into his holiness, that we would be as his son. We'd be as his daughters. Now, there's this tension that I feel within churches sometimes. um, and, And I think it's a shortcoming for what we as pastors kind of teach at times. That there's this myth about... When you become a Christian, that life is just about rainbows and unicorns and marshmallow clouds and and it's all good. In fact, you should just be skipping around all the time with a smile on your face because all good all the time with Jesus. No matter what's happening, you know what? You should just be positive. Obviously, if you're not positive, you lack faith. But see, what I see here in this this passage is that some hard things are gonna come our way as Christians. Some difficult things are gonna be presented to us. The discipline of the Lord, the rebuke of the Lord, training of the Lord. And when these things take place in our lives, it's not pleasant, but painful. How many of you walk around with a smile on your face all the time when life has sucker punched you because someone told you you should be happy all the time. No, what it says here is that when God is training us or in rebuke of us out of his love and mercy, man, it hurts. And it's okay not to feel happy or joyful all the time. That's not where he wants us to stay because later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. But at the time, man, it's it's horrible. There's this strain of ideology in the church that says, Christian, all you need to do is be good and have faith, and God will just pour out his blessings upon you. And if you don't have God's blessings and goodness in life, then you're obviously you're lacking faith or you're, you're not behaving well. You're not being obedient. See, the two things that I find wrong with that is first is what the Bible says. And second, that life happens. And in life, there's this, all of these broken people, sinful people. Maybe you know some, maybe you are one. And so that creates some ups and downs and tensions in, in hardship and in pain and suffering in our lives. And so we think when that stuff happens to us, when things aren't going right, that somehow we've made God angry and there's this this anger punishment happening to us. It's not God doesn't discipline us out of his anger, but out of his love. And we, we just go right to the wrath of God. Well, the wrath of God is being poured out on you. The wrath of God is being poured out on the United States because we, we allow certain things or, or we take part in certain things. See, I'm really believing that the wrath of God is much more subtle than what we believe, than what we understand. We go right to God's wrath, which isn't a, a, a loving discipline, A loving rebuke, but anger and punishment. When Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, he began to talk about the wrath of God. He says this in verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the wrath of God is being poured out on those people who are suppressing the truth of who Jesus Christ is, who have decided that they're going to reject who Christ is, and so God's wrath will be poured out upon them. And then later on it says this, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So what he's saying is that there are people who decided this rejection of who God is, rejection of who Christ is, God gave them over to the depravity of their mind so they would do what ought not be done. So God has given them over to the depravity of their mind. This is God's wrath. It almost feels passive aggressive a little bit. God is letting these people who have rejected him do things that should not be done. They have become filled with, with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of murder and envy and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They have invented ways of doing evil. That's my favorite. Invented ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. See, the wrath of God isn't just in the earthquake and in in the terrorists. The wrath of God is allowing those who have rejected him to engage the depravity of their own mind, of their own heart. And what I find interesting in those those passages is that the same depravity of the mind that could murder someone is the same deprived or depraved mind that will say no to the mom when the mom asks to do the dishes. (laughs) The same depravity that has no love, no fidelity, no mercy is the same mind that will say, I'm not cleaning my room when mom or dad ask. See, God's wrath is when he allows the sinfulness of people to go unchecked. God's wrath is when he gives over the depraved mind to do whatever it is that they're going to do, things that ought not be done. See, it's his grace and mercy when he intervenes in our lives and stops us acting in the darkness and the depravity that's within our own hearts. How many times have you were going to do something that you knew was not right and you had that check in your spirit and, 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 and He had that realization and you had that strength and you said No. See, that's God's grace and that's God's mercy. Wrath and punishment is when he allows people to go ahead with whatever they want to do. Now, listen to me and listen to me very closely. This is important. Here is the truth that you must take away this morning. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not under the wrath of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not under God's wrathful punishment, but you are under his grace and his mercy and his love. And so discipline and rebuke comes from his grace and his mercy and his love. He disciplines those he loves. He chastens those he calls children. Look at verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while talking about our fathers. As they thought best. Our dads and our moms are trying to do the best that they could in those circumstances. But God disciplines us for our own good, for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, again, this, this doesn't get any easier to hear, I think. I believe, and, and it doesn't get easier to preach, but the pain that we go through, the brokenness that we go through, it's it's not just there to make life interesting. The pain and brokenness of the follower of Jesus isn't there so we have books to write and poems that we can write and songs to write. Pain and brokenness is there to train us, that He desires us to enter into His holiness. God cares more about your good than you care about your good. God wants you to be built up in Him more than you want to be built up in Him. God cares about who you are as a person more than you care about who you are as a person. God cares about the person you're becoming more than you care about the person you're becoming. And so He gets involved in the life of the believer. You know, I've walked through some very deep darkness with people. Horrible things. And I know how this kind of sounds. And, and I say it with a, just a, a somber reverence as, as I preach through this because, because some of you know what it's like to walk through real brokenness and real pain. But the pain we suffer in this life, it's not meaningless. And it's not random. It's not God looking to destroy us. It's not God looking to, to wrathfully punish us. It's not him being ticked off. What we have suffered, what we will suffer, the pain that we've experienced and the brokenness that we've gone through, and and I have to believe this because this is the only way that I can wrap my mind around it. The pain and brokenness that we experience in some way, in some form, has a redemptive quality about it, that God uses it for our good in some way and somehow. Because if that wasn't the case, then God would just be some mean jokester sitting far off, just zapping people through life. And I don't believe that for a minute. That's who God is. Because I've experienced grace and mercy and his love. I know what it's like. So what we talk about this morning are, they're just these deep mysteries of faith. What we go through, let me say this again, is not the wrath of God. Christian, you are under God's grace and mercy, not his wrath. And somehow, in the suffering and the pain, there's something redemptive about it he's using it and somehow, and it might not feel that way and it might not seem that way and it's painful, but he, his desire is that we would know righteousness and that we would know peace. The word peace, shalom, like the the completeness of life. He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And again, remember last week we talked about he's creating this big picture of a coliseum and a sporting event and, and races going on. And, and, and so when he speaks of the, the, the feeble arms and weak knees, is again, he's, it's going back to an analogy of a runner crossing the finish line with, with nothing left. And he says, no, no, no. See, I, I, I know that sometimes when life gets you and it gets you good, it just sucks the life out of you. You have no strength. You don't want to get out of bed sometimes but he's encouraging the church, strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Make a straight path. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Just focus on the cross. Focus on Christ. This is the way that, that we are to go. And by, and by just strengthening ourselves in the Lord that, that maybe others who are even more broken than we have experienced or we are ourselves would be built up and they too can be healed. This is the beauty of community, the beauty of church. This is why we so desperately need each other. We need one another so that we can be built up, so that we can build each other up. All through this passage, all through this section in in Hebrews, the writer goes back to to Isaiah, and he references Isaiah. And so I want to leave you this morning with Isaiah chapter 35. This is the Lord's word to you. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. He's speaking about the reconciliation, the renewal of a life that has gone through the ringer. That he's building up, not tearing down. It's all for our good, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be there for those who walk on that way. Church, you are the ones who walk on that way. The way of holiness by faith. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor ravenous beast. They will not be found there. The way of holiness, there is safety because it's God's way. He is restoring safety to his people. But only the redeemed will walk walk there. You, church, are the redeemed. No longer under wrath, but his grace and mercy. And the Lord, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the promise of the Lord. This is the promise of God. Our suffering is not wasted. And yes, he disciplines those he loves. And he chastens sons and daughters Don't take it lightly because somehow there is redemption in it. Don't think for a minute that God is punishing you out of anger or wrath, but God is loving you into his kingdom. He's loving you into wholeness. Lord, thank you for your word and that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that you love us beyond our understanding. Love us enough to give us a time of of testing and trial and discipline. And Father, I pray for those who may be going through those times right now that they would see it not as you angered and wrathful, but as a loving Father who wants the best for his children. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Those of you who are traveling for Christmas have a great great Christmas. Uh, Those of you who are going to stay around, we have a five o'clock Christmas Eve service here. So we hope to see you. I love you guys, and we'll see you on Saturday night. No church service on Sunday. Peace.